Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing a friend that I made a couple of years ago. He's intentionally a bivocational pastor, uh, doing some pretty exciting things. He's in Utah, which is a tough place to be to do the gospel the way we all do it. And so welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Hey, good to be with you, Ralph. And so tell us a little bit about what's going on this summer. I understand you had COVID, not, not a fun thing. It wasn't fun. And just the minute I thought I was getting over it, I ended up going into the hospital um, for a few days, but recovering well now and getting ready for archery elk season. So um, <laughs> it couldn't have been that bad if I'm going bow hunting next week. So, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, we've we've actually uh, lost a couple friends. My my daughter and son in law both got it with almost no symptoms. Yeah. Then we just last week lost a classmate from when we were in college. It's a it's a rough thing. I've canceled a few trips because I don't want to fly. Yep. Yep. No, we've had the same experience. I know. And and, and the thing is, is it seems like. It uh, it really isn't as discriminating as what people originally said it was. It was like, well, if you're older or if you have these health conditions, you're at a lot higher risk, which to some degree I'm sure is true. But I know people without any of those health concerns that uh, it's really taking a toll on them. And then other people, you know, I know of ladies that in their 90s that are in poor health that it was like a mild cold for them. You know, so it's uh, it, you just it's pretty unpredictable. Glad to be on the other side of it now. <laughs> I bet. I want to hear what's going on lately, but I'd like to back up and, and have you just talk about like when you were starting out, what were you thinking? What was the strategy? And then how has that changed a little bit? Because when we met, it's like this guy is really unique and he's doing some really special things. And, and you know, I'm sure it's morphed over time, but let, let's back up a few years and, and, and hear the story. Well, uh, I've been a pastor now for um, going on 21 years, I think. And I had an abnormal kind of uh, way into ministry, I guess, as you would say. I didn't take the normal route. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't have any of those experiences. I was in my early 20s when I came to faith in Jesus. And just shortly after becoming a Christian and getting married, I think it was the time frame was about a year after I was actually immersed into Christ. I found myself a youth pastor at a church. I was a youth pastor and I, I don't know exactly, you know, that's another story about how that all happened in, in God's providence. But uh, I remember sitting down the first week on the job as a youth pastor going, I have no clue what a youth pastor is supposed to do. Like, I really have no idea what I'm even supposed to be uh, doing. And there wasn't a youth pastor. I wasn't like filling a previous youth ministries, you know, role or anything. There really was kind of a non-existent thing at this church. And so the very first day at the job, you know, there were a lot of well-meaning people in our church that just brought stacks of books. I think I jokingly see there was everything from um, um, uh, purpose-driven puppets to uh, like 40 Days of Toddlers or something. I mean, like it was every, every you know, book on student and youth ministry you can imagine that people just brought and piled on my desk. 
And I remember just very clearly that first day looking at this big stack of books going, where do I start? I need to learn how to be a youth pastor. And I don't even know where to begin, especially with all these books. And I just kind of sat back and folded my arms. And I kind of had this light bulb moment. And I thought to myself, well, maybe rather than reading these books, maybe I should just start off in the New Testament and just like read through the Gospels and really study the life of Jesus and then look at the early church through Acts and and ask the question, what would Jesus do if he was a youth pastor? So I literally took a, a yellow legal tablet and I wrote that question at the top. What would Jesus do as a youth pastor? So I read through the Gospels for two weeks straight over and over again and through the book of Acts with that question in mind. And I just took notes. And basically the, where I arrived after those two weeks, you know, the short version of that was if Jesus were a youth pastor, he would take a handful of kids and invest his entire life into them, equipping them to be disciples who would then multiply and make disciples who would make disciples. And he would do that through real relationships because that's what he did, right? Like, he sent out those his disciples to make and, and multiply disciples in the context of authentic relationship. So, um, so that's kind of that's kind of like the philosophy of ministry that I ended up developing because I, I started a job, a ministry job with absolutely zero ministry philosophy, and spent two weeks developing <laughs> my ministry philosophy. So it was about a, a month and a half into the job, I went to an elders meeting. I was really excited because I wanted to tell them hey, I've got a new ministry philosophy. And there's a little bit more to it than just the disciples making disciples concept. Um, What I saw at the end of that two weeks was if Jesus was youth pastor, he would work himself out of a job, right? It wouldn't be dependent on him being the youth pastor anymore. So I went to the the board meeting and I, I shared with them this concept and I gave them a lot more detail than that. But basically it was that, that, uh, that idea of, disciples making disciples who would make disciples like a multiplication movement of disciples and at the end of that I said so my basically my goal is is I want to work myself out of a job I want to see students multiplying and making disciples in such a way that it takes off and you don't need to pay me to be a youth pastor anymore so that's kind of how it all got started for me for me it was interesting though in that moment I got nothing but a bunch of blank stares I wondered one guy kind of leaned back like this and he said well, that's a ridiculous idea. That'll never work. <laughs> and that was the only remark I got from that whole meeting. <laughs> so I left that meeting going, well, they didn't tell me to do something different. I heard that it'll never work, but they didn't tell me to do something different. So I had this like inner conflict, this turmoil, because by the time I had shared this with the, with the church board, I was absolutely convinced that this wasn't my philosophy of ministry. This is Jesus's philosophy that's of ministry. Right. And so I, I kind of wrestled with that, had that inner turmoil for, for, uh, for quite a while. But uh, after about, I guess it was probably year six of youth ministry, I, uh, I resigned from my job and I started an insurance business and the students just kept making and multiplying disciples. So <laughs> coincidentally, that church's uh, mission statement changed. You go back and look at their website now, their, their mission statement is disciples who make disciples. That's their mission statement. That's really cool. That is so, really, really cool. That's how it all started for me, Ralph. I felt like I was kind of all alone. I didn't even fit in with other youth pastors in the area. I was just kind of the weird guy for a long time. You're probably the most fortunate of them because you didn't get your mind polluted with a bunch of everybody else's ideas that aren't very biblical. Um, I, I love this story. I'm, I'm going to be retelling this one quite often. <laughs> yeah. 
so how did that roll over into planting a church and doing what you're doing? Well, I was, I was in the, I was in the insurance business, um, for several years, and I was essentially the elder overseer in our church over the student ministry. So um, I, I was just there to kind of provide oversight. Um, and I did that for a few years and then um, had a, a church contact me. My brother, who was a, a worship pastor at the time, um, double booked himself and he called this church he booked himself at. Uh, he was supposed to lead worship for a revival. He and uh, he called them and said, I can't do this, but I'll tell you what, my brother can. So he gave them my phone number and these guys asked me if I would come and fill in for my brother. So uh, I reluctantly accepted the, the request and went and led worship at a, at a revival in a country church out in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. And um, I didn't know anything about the church at the time, but found out that they were without a pastor and had been for a couple of years. And uh, they asked me if I would submit a resume um, to them. And I said, well, I'm not exactly looking for a job and I don't really want to get back into paid ministry. And here's why, but I'll submit a resume. And so I did. And they called me for an interview and I thought, I don't really want a job. I don't really want to be on staff at a church again. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of pressures that, that come along with that. And, and, uh, and I just felt like it, it, in a lot of ways, it disables you from doing uh, because of the expectations that churches and, and uh, boards have on their on their paid staff, it really a lot of ways keeps you, it, it, you know, you can have effective ministry, but I think it stifles you in the way that you do ministry a lot of times. And so I was just, I wasn't negative against a church or anything like that. I just felt like I could be more productive um, in disciple making, not being on staff at a church. So I reluctantly interviewed with them and I was just really point blank. I said, Hey, look guys, here's my philosophy of ministry. And I expected the same uh, kind of response that that board gave me all those years back, you know, and instead they, they looked at me and said, Hey, you know what? The last guy that interviewed here said the same thing. <laughs> and, uh, and this is really interesting. So I left the, uh, I, I left the board meeting, you know, they're that interview thinking, I don't know really what's going on here, but I didn't even get out of town and they called me and asked me to come and take the job. So my wife and I prayed about it. And, and in that moment, we just said, you know what, we needed to, to surrender our own wills and just really seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit here. And so we did. And we ended up, uh, we ended up accepting uh, that invitation to go down to that rural church. And uh, so it was kind of a, you know, I tried really hard to get out of paid ministry and then through the direction of the Holy Spirit back into paid ministry. And so that was the, you know, that was a little bit um, uh, difficult, but it was while we were at that church that the Lord really began to um, help me to see outside of, you know, my own little world and see the, the world beyond. And uh, so um, there was kind of a transition period. There it was, it was a, like a stuck in the rut, stuck in, you know, stuck in their ways, kind of a little church, which is totally fine. I, I, I'm fine with that. Let's make disciples who make disciples. And I don't care how terrible your music is on a Sunday morning or, you know, or, or, you know, how rural and country you are. That's fine. Country people can make disciples too. Right. So I just kind of approached it with that mindset. And uh, because while I was there, I would, I, I would plan my, my sermons in general, like a year in advance, if I could, I would at least kind of plan out like the book, the Bible I was going to be teaching through or plan a series out. Maybe I wouldn't, 
you know, fill in all the details on that, but I'd have a generic, pretty good idea what I was going to be preaching in January, what I was going to be preaching in November, for example. And so uh, I planned a series for the fall and I just happened to go back to that file and look at it because something kind of, um, kind of got me thinking about something I knew I was going to be preaching about in the future. And I know I was going to be preaching on Matthew chapter nine. Uh-huh. And uh, so this was in the spring, I started making notes for a sermon that I was going to preach the next fall. And I just went down this rabbit hole where I started realizing that what, what happened was there was something that I was consciously aware of. And that was the fact that there were essentially unreached people's groups all over the United States. And even though I was cognitively aware of that, it didn't make a difference to me and how I did ministry in my little rural town. And so for the first time, God just really like started to open my heart up to something that my mind was aware of and my heart and my mind got on the same page together. And um, by the time I preached that sermon from Matthew 9, man, the Lord just uh, really, really spoke to me where Jesus sees the the crowds, right? They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And what I realized is when we look at the crowds, we see uh, gender issues, we see political issues, we see health issues, we see all of these, you know, crisis issues. And we look at it and go, man, look at the crowds, look at the problem. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he said, the harvest is plentiful, (laughs) right? He didn't see it as a problem. He saw it as an opportunity, just like a farmer would when they know that they're going to have an abundant yield this year. It's like, that you know a, har- a farmer never looks at a, a bumper crop going look at the problem we have it's always opportunity right yeah and so lord just really opened my eyes to the opportunity that was right here in the united states the way that that message ended up fleshing out was this is an opportunity not a problem and jesus outlined what the problem was the problem was that the laborers were few yeah and the prescription is to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. So I challenged my people that, um, that Sunday. I said, here's the one thing that none of us can escape. And that's the command of Jesus to pray for laborers. So, you know, we're going to ask for a commitment for people to go into ministry. But the first thing that we're all committing to is to pray for God to send laborers into unreached places. That's, that could be the unreached neighbor behind your house, you know, in your back, you know, on the other side of your block, or it could be um, an unreached place across the globe, but we're going to, we're going to take Jesus at, at his word and we're going to honor him by obeying and praying. And uh, so that was kind of the challenge I threw out there to the church to pray for God to send laborers. I said, one of the ways that we can pray earnestly is to do it regularly, open up, uh, uh, open up your Bible and pray and spend some time in prayer on a daily basis. Maybe it's set an alarm on your phone every day so that you could pray, you know, regularly. Uh, and maybe God's put a specific people group or a place or a city or a country on your heart. And if you have the chance, go there in person and pray in person, do a prayer walk, be there for a week, two weeks, whatever. Um, but go in person if, if given the opportunity. So pray persistently, pray in person, pray locally. Um, you know, so those are kind of the practical steps I gave our, our church. We have a real problem of homogeneity. Everybody looks, looks like us, you know, pretty much same socioeconomic situation racially but then there are it's almost cultish the the amount of people who self-identify around a hobby or around their tattoos or around the bar that they hang out in and and i look at these as these are people groups at our doorstep and we're not even seeing them in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. oh that's very true that is very true 
So the way we ended up where we are, it, it really it really began that particular Sunday. I gave this invitation for people. I said, maybe, you know, we're all called to pray, but maybe some of you are, are called to go. We, I gave an invitation. We had like 11 people come forward that Sunday to say they were willing to go. They wanted to go into ministry ever since they had called a ministry. But I knew that the moment I gave that invitation, man, the spirit of God was saying, it's time for you to go, to leave this rural town that you feel totally comfortable in and go to a place that I will show you. Because I didn't know, you know, where that would be at the moment. And so I made a commitment that day. I'm like, all right, Lord, uh, I don't know where, I don't know when, but I'm willing, you know? So I told my wife that that afternoon at home and she said, man, I had a a moment in my closet (laughs) trying to pick out clothes to wear the other day. And, 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 and the Holy spirit told me that we weren't going to be here forever. You know, like we were supposed to be ready to leave. And, and she was terrified by the thought of that because other than her time in Africa as a missionary kid, She'd lived, you know, in that same state, that same area and close to her mom forever. And so Lord began to prepare her too. So we, we spent the next year, just, well, almost, almost a full year praying. Okay, God, where would you, where would you send us? And what God, all that we had from God at that moment was an unreached place in the U.S. Go there, make disciples who make disciples Jesus's way and see the, those disciples form together as a community that you could call a church that would send other disciples out to make disciples and, and start other faith communities. Right. So that was all we had from the Lord and we didn't know where. So we said, we'll spend the next, however long it takes until God tells us where we'll pray. So we, uh, we had four, four places on our list and um, began praying, believing, you know, intellectually, we believed that Jesus wasn't going to ask us to pray a prayer that he wasn't willing to answer you know, and, uh, and so we began praying. And finally, after about uh, 10 months, I thought to myself, you know what, we had four regions on our on our list that we were praying over. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start at the bottom of this list, the place I'm least interested in, or feel the least drawn to, and I'm going to go pray for each one of these four places in person. You know, I told our congregation almost a year ago to do that, maybe I should take my preaching to heart and go pray in person. So I booked a flight from St. Louis to um, Salt Lake City, and um, the Utah area was the place we were, you know, sensing the least calling, you know. <laughs> so we we booked a flight. I ended up uh, having a layover in Dallas. I'm on this flight, uh, getting ready or getting ready to board from Dallas to, to Salt Lake, and I'm kind of looking around the terminal, and I'm realizing these people that are getting ready to board this plane, almost all of them had something that was indicative of the cultural religion here in Utah. It was a BYU hat, or they had their quad, which is their four Mormon scriptures, or their um, their Ensign magazine, which is, you know, so I'm looking at this going, man, I might be the only non-LDS person on this flight. And uh, I get on board, sitting in a window seat. I'm really tired, just waiting for the plane to take off so I could lay down and take a nap, you know, and I get this just clear calling from a spirit of God to talk to the guy next to me. And I didn't want to, I was in an antisocial tired mood and it got so overwhelming. I knew if I didn't talk to the guy next to me, I'd be in sin. So I put the mag sky miles magazine down and reluctantly introduced myself to this guy named Larry Crouch. And he tells me he's from South Carolina, owns a plastics molding company. His wife and kids are in Utah on vacation and he's flying out to finish out the rest of vacation with his wife and kids. And he looks at me, he says, what about you? Or are you from Utah? And he kind of laughed, I think, because I just don't fit in with my beard in Utah. <laughs> and uh, he kind of laughs. I said, no, I'm not from Utah. 
live in Missouri. He says, oh, well, what, you uh, out on business? I said, no. He said, you vacationing? I said, no. He said, are, um, are you visiting family, friends? I'm like, no. He says, dude, what on earth are you flying to Utah for then? And I'm trying to think how to explain like this in a short amount of time to a guy that's seeing the world from a different paradigm, uh, assuming he's an LDS guy. And I said, I said, actually, I'm on a, on a prayer journey to see if Heavenly Father would have us uh, move to Utah to make uh, disciples and start new evangelical Christian congregations. And this guy leans back in his chair and he looks at me like I'm an alien from outer space. He reaches over, he starts shaking my hand. He says, you got to understand something. My wife grew up in Utah, a slave to the Mormon religion. She's since come to know the Jesus of the Bible. She's been saved by the blood of the lamb. And we get on our knees every single night in North Carolina and pray that God would send missionaries to Utah to start churches where there aren't any. And you are an answer to our prayer. Wow. And uh, I'm going, what on earth just happened here? (laughs) And to be frank, I dismissed that as coincidence, or I tried to dismiss that as coincidence. Um, we land a plane. We had great conversation all the way in, by the way. We land a plane. He calls his wife right off the bat, tells her a little short version of our conversation. And I'm walking with Larry towards the baggage claim past the security. And there's his wife standing there waiting to pick him up. She ran right past him and threw her arms around me and hugged me. I'd never seen this lady before. And she says, thank you for coming to Utah. Thank you for coming to Utah and just hug me. And um, it was quite, it was quite an experience. I spent the the rest of that week just driving from city to city, uh, discovering that there were multiple cities in this state without a single Christian church of any brand, like no Bible believing only kind of churches at all. And um, so I didn't need the experience with Larry and his wife. All I needed to see was the opportunity here. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of what got us to where we are. Um, God really solidified um, that he wanted us to be here. And the, the, the vision and the mission was the same. You know, it's not targeting people. It's just being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples and turning around and releasing them to do the same thing and seeing um, those people could come together as a community that would become, you know, a church and, uh, and turn around and doing it again. So that's kind of the, the long, short story. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net.